Good morning. Good morning. Um, Vietnam or Taiwan or USA or hello planet Earth. Sort on here. So okay. Um, no, I'm not stoned. So uh, today um, is Thursday, December nine, twenty twenty one, and class twenty seven. Reading, um, commenting on the teachings now of Nisargadatta Maharaj, uh, a great uh, Advaita Vedanta yogi, yani, knower, teacher. I want to start, you know, we're, we're in the second half of the 120 teachings from uh, the page uh, innerquest.org, uh, probably from a, a variety of translators um, and maybe from certain publications into English of 120 passages. Uh, <clears throat> we're around 119, 120, and I want to go back to that in a moment, but first uh, present a little bit longer or a full read-through uh, of one page that I may have brought in a bit last time from Bihar Yoga. Bihar is a state in India. Actually, I was in Bihar when I was uh, on a pilgrimage with Buddhist monks in 1982, I think. And the yoga lineages, <clears throat> which is the basis of Nisargadatta uh, and his teaching. The basis in that there's a history of yogic practice, obviously, in India, dating back, you know, 2,000, 3,000 years before Yeshua. And so, uh, Indian yoga, uh, meaning yogic practice on the Indian subcontinent, uh, goes way back, uh, probably 4,000 years uh, from today in the past, to 2000 BC, BCE. <clears throat> uh, it looks like that to me. And uh, I read some of this last time, but I want to read more of the same page and just comment. And you get a sense of how rich the... Uh, historical history and traditions of, of yoga lineages in India is and uh, perhaps be able to um, see the place of Nisargadatta um, as an Advaita Vedanta teacher uh, offering what looks to me like a very clear presentation of Yana Yoga Yana as realization, yoga as discipline, technique, practice, the sadhana of yana for the yani, achieving yana, which is basically realization. But um, this tradition, as you will know from listening before, is not at odds with Buddhism. Pali Buddhism, Pali early Buddhism. It's not at odds with it. And even though Nisargadatta is talking about I and self all the time, and Gautama, you know, one of the primary teachings is anatta, I mean, no self or insubstantiality or selflessness, the selflessness of dharmas, dhammas, meaning phenomena, as well as uh, no self in that which is attributed, normally considered a self meaning me in, you know, a me in this body here with sensations, with perceptions, with a mind that seems to be my mind and a consciousness that seems to be my consciousness, the five skandhas, there's no self there too. So how in the world does that fit with teaching of a yana yogi of self-realization or identification that realization, attainment, at least one level of attainment, is a self-realization attainment, where then one goes beyond that. Uh, 
one one can understand Nisargadatta more deeply. Um, obviously, I'm only inter- this is all introductory, right? So this is like 27 talks so far, <laughs> and there are like 50 talks on Nityananda, and uh, what? Uh, dozens and dozens of talks on Pali Buddhism. It's all introductory <laughs> because we can go ever deeper, 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 and then there's realization or attainment. So in Buddhism, there are four levels of attainment. Pali Buddhism, right? So you're talking about that. So Pali, original, early Buddhism, Theravada Buddhism today, talking about four levels of attainment. Nisargadat, in many ways, talking about two levels of attainment, where there's realization or yana, uh, akin to what Nityananda said as um, called jivatman, or I, it, the union of Jiva and Atman. That looks to me like first level attainment uh, between Nityananda and Nisargadatta's teachings. Uh, mind body spirit complex becomes one. That means attainment of the union of the mind body spirit complex called Jiva, soul, reincarnating, returning, <clears throat> returning home to higher self, which is um, we become light, sixth density meaning uh, the union of jiva and atman, becoming jivatman, I am that I am, self, with a capital S, realization. But that's not the end of the line, because sixth density is not the end of evolution. Ra saying they drop memory and identity. Uh, looks to me like um, the movement from third level attainment in Buddhism to, to complete and perfect enlightenment. <clears throat> so, you know, I've said this before, if anybody's interested in, the, you know, some deep truth here, I think this is true. Uh, <clears throat> the first of two attainments from Nisargadat being uh, realizing that uh, the world is in the eye. The world, this, the apparent outer, is made by the subject. Uh, this is akin to Jivatman. This is akin, I'd say, to third-level attainment in Buddhism that is a non-returner. <clears throat> non-returner is very close to complete and perfect enlightenment, but hasn't finished conceit, particularly the last five fetters, but particularly the last, the eighth and the ninth fetters not yet broken for the non-returner in sixth density, <laughs> it seems, where Raz drops memory and identity going to seven. Likewise, hey, hey, the uh, third stage adept in Buddhism, non-returner, drops, breaks the fetters of conceit and restlessness. Conceit is also basically identity. It's a very subtle sense of identity, but yet fashioned by uh, perception and sankara. So whatever is fashioned by insubstantial, impermanent agency is not eternal, right? The real, the sat, uh, is not changeable. It's the source of that which changes. So complete and perfect enlightenment <clears throat> is a return to the source of that which arises and passes away, the source of phenomena, the source of light. So phenomena are light, they arise, persist, pass away. That's impermanent because they're impermanent or in that nature of light, they're ever vibrating or restless, polarized, and um, insubstantial. You know, light is not substantial in the sense that it's ever changing, ever shifting. And so, <clears throat> uh, hold on to your emotion. You can't. Hold, you know, show me yourself. You can't. Discover yourself. You can, but you can't. Um, it's not a substantial. Thing to to abide. It's and you'll see this in some of these quotes from Nisargadatta. Even the I am has <clears throat> got a problem, and that's um, you know the internal criticism <laughs> of Advaita Vedanta by an Advaita Vedanta yogi. Not not needed uh, a Buddhist critique. We have internal critique. Uh, of the Advaita Vedanta teaching by an Advaita Vedanta teacher, 
and I'm sure Ramana Maharshi would have similar criticism and uh, other guys where <clears throat> they're saying that some of these teachings have been misunderstood or um, they're all fingers pointing to the moon. Don't get, don't believe the finger is the moon. It isn't. So uh, Advaita Vedanta, though, is a particular formulation of classical Vedanta. And along the centuries, I'm not going to give a history of Advaita Vedanta, I'm not really that that qualified for that, but <clears throat> along the centuries, in the last 3,000 years or 4,000 years, uh, traditions have become, the, the understanding of the founder's attainment, the attainment of the great rishis of, of ancient times, just like the attainment of Gautama 2,500 years ago, the uh, subsequent generations didn't have the attainment of the founder. They became attached to rites and rituals. They degraded the message because they didn't have comparable attainment. And distortions crept in. So you see this everywhere. And so in some ways, Gautama, 2,500 years ago, gave an early reformation of Vedantic teaching that in the Brahmin communities, uh, Gautama was very critical of and found that they had lost their own, um, their own uh, deeper understanding. The deeper understandings at the, at the summit of Vedanta or the wellspring uh, of the Hindu tradition 4,000 years ago had been lost in the uh, millennium millennium uh, before Gautama, perhaps, because he was somewhat critical of the Brahmins of his time and felt that they were um, stuck in dogmatic uh, belief um, and even their techniques didn't go all the way. And so he went to the various yogis and taught them, he taught him basically the higher jhanas, the formless jhanas, what he later formulated as the higher or formless jhanas, meaning higher trances, and realized that wasn't the end of the path. And so Buddhism in many ways is um, a reformulation of original Vedanta. And Advaita Vedanta itself is an internal Hindu religion or internal to the Vedic tradition reformulation of the original Vedantic teaching. That's why, you know, uh, Yoga Vaishishta um, has so much uh, overlap with teachings of uh, uh, Nisargadat and other Advaita Vedanta teachers today, or at least classically in the last couple hundred years. Uh, because um, uh, original teaching, the, the, the uh, understanding of original teaching and attainment or attainment and thus teaching gets degraded and lost over the centuries from the founders in every tradition. Same with the Thai forest tradition of the 19th century in Thailand, a reformulation of Thai Theravadan Buddhism, which had become uh, got, lost its way, you know, in the centuries before the Thai forest tradition and got very far from. Um, the value of, of practice to attainment. Same thing with Chan itself. Um, Chan and Zen Dhyana itself coming into China, what, you know, 2,000 years ago, 1,800 years ago. Uh, a reformulation of Buddhist teaching and practice, uh, aside from its integration with Taoism, um, coming back to teaching in line with attainment teaching of theory and practice in line with real attainment. That keeps getting lost <laughs> over centuries, like the telephone game. So so anyway, from the page Bihar Yoga, <clears throat> which um, is of a certain yoga tradition um, and uh, called Satyananda Yoga. Anyway, middle of the page, uh, they say, Yoga can be divided into three distinct periods, 
an early period, Shiva's time, meaning the time of the, the gods walking on earth, a middle period, the time of Patanjali and others, that's the Yoga Sutras, and then the present period of yoga's reemergence during the last hundred years. The Adi Guru, or first teacher and exponent of yoga, was Shiva, according to the theory. But yeah, I mean, the rishis in the forest 4,000 years ago were getting inspiration from someone, from somewhere, probably from Six Density and uh, 3.7 or 3.6, 3.66. So the Adi Guru, or first teacher, Adi as first guru teacher, and exponent of yoga was Shiva. The Pashupat Yoga, which he expounded, focused on the means to overcome or transcend three types of suffering in life. Adhyatmika, Adibautika, and Adidavika. Daivika. Following Shiva, I don't know those three forms of suffering, but <laughs> uh, it's interesting in light of what I just said that um, the first noble truth in Buddhism, which I would say is very much a reformulation of uh, original Vedanta also like Jesus you know Jesus was a Hebrew right or so they say Yeshua tried to reform uh, Hebrewism or whatever whatever it was at the time I don't know about the word Jewish but the Hebraic Davidic tradition he tried to reform that and they said you know fuck off and that's thus was born Christianity uh, in some similar way, perhaps. I don't know if Gautama went to the Brahmins and said, hey, I'll tell you the real Brahmanism. <clears throat> but they certainly didn't want what he had. And thus was born Buddhism. So Buddhism as a, in some ways, a reformulation of uh, uh, the, the heart pith of Vedantic teaching. Christianity as a reformulation, a new re- a new testament, a new dispensation of the uh, teachings given to the ancient Hebrews and um, you know Moses and or Abraham, <clears throat> and when those in the uh, long-standing traditions reject the form the reformulators, the reformers, thus is born a new religion. Uh, it didn't have to be, but it was in both cases, and I think that's very similar. So it's no, it's it's kind of a interesting fact here, or interesting point in relation to what's written here that it's written here that hmm, Shiva, <clears throat> so-called earliest teacher of yoga, yoga equals the pra- the system of praxis technique of of. Um, the sadhana systems for realization of what the original Vedanta teaching points to. <clears throat> the attainment of, you know, aham brahmasi, brahmasi, meaning I am Brahma. Brahma is the I. The union of uh, Atman and Paramatman, or Atman and Parambrahma. Paramatman as Parabrahman, or the Supreme Self as Godhead. As source, not you know, without any spiritual inflation, <clears throat> the kingdom of heaven is within. Same, same, actually. But uh, that the original proponent of at at the uh, uh, the source, the the wellspring, the wellspring head of the entirety of the yoga systems that are the praxis of Vedantic teaching from 4,000 years ago uh, claimed to be of Shiva himself uh, was significantly focused against suffering. Hmm. No surprise then that Gautama's first noble truth was Dukkha, the truth of stress or suffering or dissatisfactoriness. Mm -hmm. So Buddhism... Uh, as a uh, latter reformulation of core teaching of Vedanta and Yoga. Okay, then it goes on. Following Shiva, early propagators of various forms of yoga were Dattatreya, Vaishishta, Vishvamitra, Matsendranath, and Goraknath. 
big, these are the heavy hitters. <clears throat> these guys are all, <laughs> their students, their, their lineages are all in uh, 3.6, meaning the highest of the astral planes, you have some ashrams who were started by those guys today, but they're not physical, obviously. It's the highest astral. Then it goes on, the middle period is the period of the sage Patanjali, Geranda, uh, Swatmaram, Swatmarama, and others, who are the reference points for today's yoga practices. The original yogas from the early period were reclassified and renamed as, and here we have what is what was my um, original understanding of the term Ashtanga Yoga, but it was either incorrect or it's just an alternate understanding of that term, Eightfold Ashtanga Yoga. So original yogas from the early period reclassified, renamed, or defined as then Raja Yoga, Karma Yoga, Bhakti Yoga, Jnana Yoga, Hatha Yoga, Kriya Yoga, and Kundalini Yoga. That's seven, not eight. <clears throat> uh, by this second group of masters. These rishis and sages also wrote the classical texts and books which are referred to today. Patanjali wrote his Yoga Sutras, a thesis on Raja Yoga and mind management. So, uh, Swatmarama developed and propagated the practices of Hatha Yoga, the asanas, for balancing the lunar and solar forces, right, uh, Ida and Pinkala, to promote health and well-being in the next in the text Hatha Yoga Pradipika, then Narada and Shandilya developed the practice and principles of Bhakti Yoga for emotional management. Now I, I don't use these terms, but that's what the paragraph here said. <laughs> Just reading the Yoga Chaudamani Chaudamani Upanishad describes the yogic process related to Kundalini and the chakras. The Hamsa Upanishad speaks of Ajapa and Dharana practice and the benefits of meditation. A total of 22 Yoga Upanishads were written in this period by 22 different authors, thinkers, and seers. They blended the Vedic and Upanishadic philosophy and the structures of Tantra with the yogic system and philosophy. All right, so uh, original Vedic philosophy... Upanishadic philosophy, the really old stuff from 3,000 years plus and back, blended with structures of Tantra, I'm not sure what that means, with yogic system and philosophy. So it's not just philosophy, but also the, the sadhanas of these different yogic limbs or lineages, meaning sadhana practices associated with these multiple lines of the approaches to realization. Got to use the mind, right? <clears throat> the late period is the present age, beginning from the 19th century, when yoga reemerged. Yes, big deal. It's a meaning it's a very important matter. It came to the West and is um, now <laughs> under attack, like everything. One of the first to integrate and talk about the tradition in a language that society, Western society, could understand was Swami Vivekananda. Another, another tradition that emerged was associated with a remote Himalayan yogi called Babaji. Some portion of, I mean, uh, Yogananda talks about him. Whose followers included Sri Yukteswar, Lahiri Mahasaya, who was the teacher of Yukteswar and Paramahansa Yogananda, who came to the West and wrote Autobiography of a Yogi. Their contemporaries included Ramana Maharshi, right, Advaita Vedanta, and Ananda Maima, who followed the paths of Jnana Yoga and Bhakti Yoga, respectively. Boom. So there's the identification of Advaita Vedanta and Jnana Yoga. Boom. Around the 1920s and the 1930s, a Hatha Yoga tradition evolved from Mysore in the south of India, as revived by, revived by Krishna Macharya and carried forward by Desikachar and Iyengar, like Iyengar Yoga, right? Hatha Yoga. At the same time, in the late 1920s, Swami Sivananda, Shivananda went to Rishkesh and started to explore other forms of classical yogas and to develop a system of yoga 
to integrate the faculties of head, heart, and hands and awaken the self. In the course of time, he established the Divine Life Society. And I think that's what this, this page is coming from. He established Divine Life Society, which taught integral yoga, meaning an integration of the multiple lineages of yoga sadhana, as, I, as before, as written up above. And in the 1950s and 60s, he, uh, those he had trained started traveling out of the country, into the world, to disseminate yoga, this integral yoga. Um, related possibly even to my uh, uh, schooling site of California Institute of Integral Studies, Integral, right, the same Integral, he, Sivananda, Shivananda taught Integral Yoga and integration of multiple um, traditions of yoga sadhana. Um, the founder of CIIS, the school I went to, California Institute of Integral Studies, was a student of Sri um, uh, Aurobindo, who may have had something to do. Again, I'm not. I don't know everything, so he may have been related to Shivananda. You know, that's an interesting question. Aurobindo and Shivananda, connected or not? Uh, they're both using the word integral, and so the founder of CIIS was a student of Aurobindo, who may well have known Shivananda. Who, both of whom were using the term integral, both of whom had an integral, integrationist, um, uh, syncretic approach to presenting yoga to students in India and the West, uh, in which the multiple tradition, the multiple practice lineages are recognized as different paths up the mountain or different ways um, for students of different um, predilections and inclinations to develop realization and complete and perfect liberation, moksha, different ways, and need not and should not be in opposition. Absolutely. I mean, all you need is a unified philosophy and right view. And then an understanding of right technique along the line of these different lineages you know, some people do karma yoga or seva yoga, meaning mainly working physically or physical-based uh, activity and interactive with others. Some are more doing raja meditation. Some would be doing yana, which is uh, very much what Ramana Maharshi is offering. And dot, 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 bhakti and so on. <clears throat> and they're working on the pond at the base, and so there's a noise today. So, uh, that will be the case in fourth density. <laughs> in fourth density, I guarantee you that uh, people who are inclined to accelerate soul evolution will indeed be um, sharing a common, integral, uh, universal reality-based uh, spiritual philosophy regarding multidimensionality and the laws of karma and divine purpose and the nature of the self and the nature of the path and the nature of the stages of the path and then the various paths up the mountain or the paths of transformation of the seven chakras, the mind-body-spirit complex. And no doubt... Um, it's the same, even in book 2150, you see something like that. Different people in the community are known to have different tendencies, vasanas, inclinations, uh, configurations which lead them to more suitably be practicing along certain lines rather than others. Sorry, I have to talk this way, but... This is a world of rampant, rank confusion. And um, most speakers don't speak clearly. And um, if you want to speak, you better speak. It's like if you want to talk, you might want to talk clearly. <laughs> yeah? If you, if you want to make yourself understood or come to comprehension, you might want to speak clearly. Mm. And most people, nearly no one does that. And then they think, oh, I'm stupid, I can't talk. I don't mean that either. Get it out. Spit it out, man. But um, I try to do that, and 
it's all, everything's complicated, right? If you're going to start talking um, and be clear <laughs> and not make vague vagueness more confusion, um, there's a certain uh, crawling along the, uh, the vent, <laughs> crawling through the, the, the vent, uh, the air shaft. That's what it feels like. It's called stooping. Anyway, so then uh, Shivananda brought an integral approach to theory and practice of yoga for India, for students and teachers there, to then to the West. And he go, it goes on, his disciples founded yoga centers and schools from Sri Lanka to Canada, Germany, New Zealand, Australia, Mauritius, South Africa, United States. Among them was Swami Satyananda. Okay, so they're following Swami Satyananda with this group that made this page, whose mandate was to spread yoga from door to door and shore to shore. In 1963, after traveling for nine years to assess the needs of society, he established the Bihar School of Yoga. Okay, so this is all coming from a student of Shivananda, Swami Shivananda, who was named Satyananda, maybe Indian, maybe Western, I don't know. Here he began to teach yoga as a system to discover the creative self, oh ho, and enhance the beauty and harmony of life. You know, everybody talks about it different ways, right? Um, these guys are more um, <laughs> attached to desire. I'm more attached to aversion. So guys who are attached to aversion, like Nisargadat, don't use flowery language. I mean, Nichinata didn't use flowery language either. He hardly used any language. He was, you know, <laughs> working from will more so than mind or working with will through mind without a whole lot of talking. Nisargadat also working, obviously, strongly will-based through mind without flowery talk. Um, this integral yoga, you know, talking about discover the creative self or emotional management, they're not yet talking about the emptiness of Sankara. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, uh, is it more useful to talk about emotional management or the emptiness of Sankara? Depends. The emptiness of Sankara, the sunya, the, the, the sunya nature of Sankara. Sankara meaning thought and feeling and emotion and memory and image as Nisargadat talks uh, continually about the, those are dreamlike. They're maya, which is sunya. And so just for those who are interested in this continued correlation of Advaita Vedanta and early Buddhism, uh, where the Advaita Vedanta or the um, Vedanta basis uh, a basic teaching of Maya, illusor, illusory, false, you know, phenomenal, the, the, substan the apparent substantiality of phenomena is illusory. You know, so again, to say, the whole world's illusion, it's all a dream, man, is, is um, a shallow formulation. It just doesn't work. Because, yeah, something's going on here, and there's a difference between, you know, a curry and a shit. Um and uh, halwa and diarrhea, even though Nityananda is aware of the unity of those two or the, the non-differentiation, there is also differentiation. And so before you can truly be in the non-differentiated, you got to work rightly with the apparently differentiated, meaning better and worse, or right speech versus wrong speech, right action versus wrong action, um, right view versus wrong view. So before there can be a true freedom from right and wrong, there has to be a clear delineation of right and wrong, or right and confused, it seems to me. So, in any case, um, the Buddhist teaching of the three characteristics equi equates to the Hindu or Vedantic teaching of Maya, it seems to me. Maya is dreamlike, illusory. Oh, God. Not only banging, also music. So, mm, some kind of action happening here. 
Sometimes in the countryside, the denizens get bored of endless crickets. For me, I prefer endless, or I, I mean not endless, but I like crickets a lot. So some people like to make noise because they feel lonely, you know, in the big woods. Anyway, and other reasons, dot, dot, dot. So, but the Buddhist teaching um, of the three characteristics, Anicchanata Dukkha, it seems very resonant to me with the Hindu teaching of Maya. Hindu, meaning Vedanta, Upanishadic teaching of Maya. Uh, what is Maya but impermanent and insubstantial? And then um, people who don't think deeply or don't know, haven't done hard analysis, who don't have enough hatred, <laughs> they don't have enough uh, uh, force or fire. The fire that goes to hate is also the fire that does Vajra discernment. You know, any uh, Buddha, medicine Buddha or five Buddha families practitioner of Tibetan Buddhism will tell you that the fire or force that at distorted level goes to hate and aversion refined becomes Vajra pristine wisdom discernment. Same. So you've got to channel your hate and anger aversion into clarity of perception and communication and comprehension. If you want to do that, it's a good thing to do. So what is maya but in uh, anicca natta dukkha? Mm. And so there are problems with um, the Vedantic teaching, which is significantly love over wisdom, or some of it is love over wisdom, or some of it is a little too loosely constructed. While Buddhism is very tight, I mean really tight ass, like Mingun Sayadaw, right, from Burma, the guy who could memorize 10,000 pages or something, or 10,000 books, um, super unbelievably pristine intellect development. There are some Hindus who have been like that too, of course, over the centuries. But that, that kind of wisdom over love is more uh, associated with, with early Buddhism than later Vedantic um, lineages and, and teaching as a whole. But, you know, it's what goes to the public and what goes to the initiates is also different. And in some ways, this is a sort of public presentation of somewhat adept level initiate kind of discussions. Um, the the emptiness of the you know the sunya of sankara, and that that's what um, Nisargadatta is doing. Also, he's giving quite advanced teaching. You know, it really is very advanced what he's doing. I might be I might be critical regularly, but uh, it's very advanced uh, yana yoga philosophy dialogue that that Nisargadatta is doing, and. Uh, but you can certainly see <clears throat> that, so, it seems to me, some of what had been lost over the centuries from the earliest phase of yoga with uh, the, the heavy hitters, you know, whether it was Shiva or not, guys like Goraknath and Vishvamitra and Vaishishta and Matsyendranath, these guys, you know, <laughs> they uh, play between Atman and Paramatman. That's they're like the, the Council of Saturn level, and so they play between the octaves. Those guys, as far as I can tell, those are like guardian levels, guardian level attainment. Meaning they're finished with with evolution, like like Nisargadatt, or or I mean I don't know about Nisargadatt, frankly, but certainly like Nityananda or Gautama. These guys are all uh, comparable to uh, Nityananda. Nisargadatta or not, I don't know. But guys like uh, Vaishishta, Matsyendranath, Goraknath, Vishvamitra, Datatraya, they're all at the level of Nityananda, as far as I, little me, can discern. And so, but that, you know, I mean, it's inevitable that, that later generations fall in that they don't have that attainment and don't therefore uh, have the capacity even to retain original teaching. So then over the centuries it degrades into ritualism and 
formulaic repetition uh, without understanding or distortion. So that, uh, you know, guys like Vaishishta and Matsyendranath and Goraknath, uh, whenever they were, if indeed they were the original ones <laughs> before Gautama, by the time of Gautama, the Brahmins in the communities around Gautama uh, have nowhere near the attainment of these um, these root gurus. And therefore, the teachers in the Brahmin community around Gautama could only teach him the higher jhanas because they hadn't gone to, they hadn't finished the octave themselves. They hadn't done uh, freedom from uh, samsara or, you know, the end, the complete and perfect enlightenment. That's what happens over centuries in every tradition from original teachers down through successive successors who um, don't have the attainment nor the view nor the capacity of the root gurus of the lineage. It always happens. So, um, in any case, that's kind of interesting. And so that's that's um, some of the basis of uh, Nisargadatta. <laughs> and uh, he uh, arose in a milieu not only um, with the, the bedrock of those root gurus from the, the earliest period, the Shiva time, but um, multiple cycles of loss, uh, degradation of original teaching and practice, and reformulation. There was some, you know, uh, everybody knows that Adi Shankara and, and uh, who, um, the guys of his time, I forgot all their names, but his students, his teachers, the people around Adi Shankara, something like what a thousand years ago or something again i'm not perfect on everything i'm improving on anything but i forget some the dates um were totally influenced by buddhism <laughs> while buddhism was in some ways a refined reformulation of some of the best of early vedanta that had been lost since the heavy hitters um uh, departed <laughs> centuries before Gautama was born. So centuries before Gautama is the slow degradation of view and practice and theory and conduct in the in the communities of Brahmins and uh, Hindus coming out of the earliest top-level root guru Upanishads and Vedas. And so Buddhism reformulate, Gautama reformulated, absolutely. It's a, it's, it's a very useful reformulation of Maya to talk about Maya in terms of the three characteristics. Dukkha and impermanence and uh, ever-changing and totally insubstantial or no, uh, with, without any abiding nature. Meaning, the now, now we talk about true nature, the true nature of the conceptual is empty. But the true nature of that which makes the conceptually the 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 false conceptual or insubstantial is is for real. The maker of the false is real, but all that the real has made is false. <laughs> the maker is real, but believing the made is real is wrong. And that's where they're coming from and talking about the I. The I makes Maya or makes the three marks. The three marks, Anichanatadaka, are of what? Phenomena or the one that perceives and conceives phenomena? Well, of course, they're of both. <laughs> and the one, the, 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 the one that makes that, that, per, that perceives and conceives phenomena. That one, the true nature of that one is the one and real. But it's not um, of what, has, what it makes. The source of light is not of the three characteristics. The, the, the one that believes in fantasy is not a fantasy. 
something like that. It, it's the real that makes a false, but uh, believing itself uh, to be a to be what it makes is wrong and harmful. Uh, and that process, in many ways, is reversed or ended better by Gautama's reformulation, I think, of teachings of Maya into the teachings of the Three Marks, Three Characteristics, because it's a tighter teaching. And so there, that all, all namarupa, outer phenomena, and objects uh, and mental process, and thoughts and even uh, high states are impermanent. They're also empty of abiding, and they're insubstantial, empty of a selfhood that, that rests that you know that remains are eternal and it's all stressful um that means that there's no salvation in thought or states of mind or even consciousness itself even ignorance even consciousness is born of ignorance which really mean gotama said which means the fitskanda meaning even vijnana even vijnana is of avidya boom even of even vijnana is sunya this this is the root as far as i can tell even vijnana the subjectivist consciousness that is very subtle and and um only broken leaving sixth density even that vijnana subjectivist consciousness is sunya is uh, of avidya is born of ignorance but the one that made that vijnana is um, forever. But it isn't a thing. It's the dreamer who dreamed uh, light. The, the, the one that dreamed, the one that, the one that created the dream of light is for real. But it ain't of light. <laughs> eh. That's called intelligent infinity. And that's where Nisargadot uses the term awareness or satchit rather than... Um, simply uh, consciousness, which is vijnana, which is subjectivist, which is where you find manas and bhati. So, th- this is uh, interesting stuff, I think, frankly. <laughs> so let me just read, if you're still breathing, uh, just a couple of passages from Nisargadat, so at least I can move the ball forward a couple of steps today. 119, as from last time. The body appears in mind. Your mind is the content of your consciousness. You are the motionless witness of the river of consciousness, right, subjectivist, which changes eternally without changing you in any way. Your own changelessness is so obvious that you do not notice it. Have a good look at yourself, and all these misapprehensions and misconceptions will dissolve. Just as all the watery lives are in water and cannot be without water, so all the universe is in you and cannot be without you. And so there's a difference between thinking that I am consciousness, I am a separative consciousness, versus I is the source of this apparently separative consciousness. That's safe. And if you think I am eternal consciousness... Well, make sure you know the difference between Vijnana and Chit, because they're not the same. There's Sat Chit Ananda, or Tat Sat Chit, and then there's the subjectivist Vijnana Fitskanda, born of Avidya, that is Sunya, and Dukkha, and Anicca, and Anatta. So, Vijnana is Anatta. Hmm. Meaning, don't, don't identify a subjective consciousness as... Uh, as one, as oneself, or as source. Uh, source is really indefinable. It can be attained, but um, not quite fully explained. Anyway, all appears in mind. Body appears in mind, and he's saying your mind, which is very much manas and buddhi, is which is all of vijnana, is the content of your vijnana, of your content. The content of vijnana is sankara, of course. So, perception of sensation, perception of a body, perception of outer objects, perception of thoughts, 
second, uh, third skanda leads to conception, conceivings, sankara, fashionings, fermentings. That's all memory. That's all that's uh, making the world. The, the, by and and so that Buddhism broke it down very well. Gautama broke it down the five skandhas very well. That that what you're seeking cannot be found in the constituents of this apparently separative sense of self. What you're seeking, what we're seeking, moksha, freedom, the end, the final, the the big release, the final aha, the final ah, is is not found in states of mind nor sensation nor um, pure subjective consciousness or a sense of I is I am it's not in any of that it's the source of all of that but all that is of the world is made um, by this reflection of of satchit into vijnana into, well, conceit, eighth fetter. Restlessness gives rise to this coalesced sense of selfhood. Me, 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 me. And you got to be careful with that because it's not source, but it's the, but you got to go through it to get to source. Anyway, your own change last NAS is so obvious that you don't notice it. And like I said last time, I don't know about obvious, but I think it's uh, omnipresent. It's It's never gone. It's like, how many people notice the um, spotless, endless sky? Very few. <laughs> but most people see clouds. Easy to see the clouds, the weather conditions. But how many realize the field in which weather conditions arise? So weather conditions called clouds and wind arise, persist, and pass away in the field of sky. Right? Chittakash. So the world arises in Chittakash, the Akash of the field or sky or space of Chit, or awareness, or uh, mind with a capital M. And most people notice the contents, not the field in which the contents appear. Have a good look at yourself, and all these misapprehensions and misconceptions will dissolve, he said. So, <laughs> uh, look into the mirror, see the Creator. And so all the universe is in you, cannot be without you. But that is, um, you know, that, that you is not a personal. 120. God is only an idea in your mind. The fact is you. The only thing you know for sure is, quote, here and now I am. Remove the here and now, meaning time and space. And the I am remains unassailable. And actually, he's right later. You'll see he cuts that down too. The world exists in memory. Memory comes into consciousness. Memory is, is a portion of sankara, the samskara, fourth skanda. The world exists in memory. Memory comes into consciousness, meaning vijnana, uh, the field of sky, the chittakash. You know, vijnana is sort of a, is, is a personal portion of chittakash. <laughs> And when Vijnana goes to Chittakash, then the field is uh, Chittakash, not personal Vijnana. Consciousness then exists in awareness, right? <clears throat> and awareness is the reflection of the light on the waters of existence. So the world, Rupa, right? The outer world of Rupa, Rupa, and Triloka, the whole 31 planes, three realms, Triloka, and all the rupa exists in sankara. Sankara comes into or arises out of vijnana, subjectivist eighth fetter uh, identity <laughs> uh, that is fashion, you know, that is broken only leaving six density. That is uh, the, the common lot of all beings below six density is uh, some kind of I am. Then Vijnana, still sunya and avavidya, exists in awareness. Right, that's satchit. And that satchit, or paramatman, itself 
is, he says, the reflection of the light on the waters of existence. Now, is existence creation? Well, you know, creation is, uh, the existence could be a term used that's greater than the creation. Existence is all that exists. Creation is a created portion within existence. In the same way that dimensions exist in the universe, and the universe here is a term designating that which contains all dimensions or octaves. Octaves, all octaves exist in the one universe. That's how I use the term universe. People are crazy. They say, omniverse and the multiverse and the metaverse. Gook, gook, gook. I think that's all goofy. Be careful of goofy humans. Um, so uh, I keep it simple and think use the term universe. It, that's everything, total. The cosmos is another term for that. Mm, but cosmos is commonly the created. Like Gautama talking about the all. Uh, what was it, uh, Tanisaro, you know, very sharp-eyed, <laughs> realized, uh, uh, excuse me, sir, uh, you mean this all? And Gautama's like, uh, yeah, yeah, sure, right, this all. Meaning that this all, meaning all is not all. <laughs> There's a this all and the next all. Okay, this all is this is the 31 planes, of course. So this all is the seven dimensions, 31 planes, three loka. Right, this octave. Then you have other octaves, like Gautama does not get extinguished. Gautama is not extinguished. He goes to the next all. Right. So I would say universe is all octaves. All. Um, universe really would be the same as cosmos because it's all the created. But existence, I think, could be um, that which is the created universes or the created universe or cosmos the cosmos as the universe, as creation of light, which are octaves, and that which gave birth to it, or that, which then is um, the real, you know, the real tatsat, that gave birth to light. So in any case, um, the, the idea is that um, awareness now is awareness, aware what we're calling awareness, if it's such a, reflection of the light on the waters of existence it's basically um a manifestation it's you know there's intelligent infinity right so and an infinite intelligence and so the infinite awareness which is satchit or tatsatchit um is itself a manifestation of something <laughs> is intelligence a property of infinity yeah i think that's the idea that that infinity, quote, one infinite creator, is the one infinite, is one infinite. And in that one infinite, there's infinite everything, particularly the primary qualities of infinite will, infinite awareness, mind, knowing potential, actual, and then uh, the capacity for infinite um, manifestation, which is omnipresence. Um, so, in some sense, infinity precedes those qualities of infinity. And that could be what he's saying, where satchit, or awareness, uh, beyond subjective consciousness, is itself a reflection of um, a process by which th there's some kind of creation in play. Because uh, if there's no object then there's no knowing of objects. <laughs> there's awareness. Um, you know, now we're really talking <laughs> what the fuck is going on in 8th density or the guardian, what is the nature of omniscience without an object, <laughs> without form. I don't know, but um, I'm not really sure what he was referring to. Reflection of the light on the waters of existence. Does waters of existence mean the created or the source of creation? Or both. Mm. And so you can say creation is of light and existence therefore could be used to mean the created existence or that which is created, the portion of existence which is created. Anyway, 
um, there is a reflective process. Mind is intrinsically reflective, whether it's a subjective mind or a transubjective mind. Mindedness is reflective. Uh-huh. And then 121. All I can truly say is, quote, I am. All else is inference. But the inference has become a habit. Destroy all habits of thinking and seeing. Destroy your vasanas. The sense, I am, is the manifestation of a deeper cause, which you may call self, God, reality, or by any other name. The I am is in the world, but it is the key which can open the door out of the world. Right. Boom. The moon dancing on the water is seen in the water, but it is caused by the moon in the sky and not by the water. It's a very, you see, he's great, you know. I don't know if he, he, he doesn't have the stature of Nityananda to me, but his, his teaching is um, so elegant and um, so sophisticated and subtle, actually. Some of it is so subtle. Like, um, uh, it's crude to say. <laughs> There's crude and subtle, right? He's the combination of crude and subtle. Bombay is crude, and he, in his attainment, was very subtle, or his explanation sometimes is profoundly subtle. So, destroy all habits of thinking and seeing. That's really crude. But then he says, this sense of I am, um, and I would say, however, is the manifestation of a deeper cause, which you may call self or God or Sat. Reality means Sat. So you can say, I am comes from Aham, or it comes from Brahma, or it comes, you know, it comes out of Brahma, it comes out of Sat. The I am is in the world. Oh, yes, that's right. Because uh, the goal is to leave the world, or to leave the octave, or to return the seven to the source of the seven. Of course. The, the, the return the jiva to, to Atman, and return Jivatman to Paramatman, and Paramatman realizes it is Parbrahman, and then the created returns to creator, and that's the end of the, the end of the show, until the next all, <laughs> the end of this show. And that is not in the world. The world is cosmos, and that means the physical and non-physical, but it's all created. So cosmos as universe, meaning physical and non-physical, multidimensional, that's the world. That's the original Greek. Cosmos means world. And that world is not only physical. It's physical and metaphysical or space-time and time-space and seven-dimensional and 31 planes. All that is the world. The octave is the world, basically. The octave is the world. The I am is in the octave. Aham vichar. Can you see? Aham, aham kar is I am. I, I am, you can say, is aham. But actually, aham is just I. No one said it. <laughs> aham means I. So aham vichar is I inquiry, commonly translated by the heathen as self-inquiry. I do not use the word self for I. But, so the heathen, <laughs> the heathen, oh heathen, translate aham as self. Actually, it's I. Iho, eho, back to Proto-Indo-European, baby. So, or Proto-Germanic or something. Oho, oho, ego, same. Aham, same, is I. So, aham kar, aham kara, is the fashioned I. But uh, its source um, is outside the cosmos. <laughs> but it, it occurs in the cosmos. So to say I am is actually another form. It's still, it's the, it's the last ahamkara is I am. Or before one is finished with fashioning, um, the last, the final fashioning would be uh, I am. Uh, and that's why he says it's in the world. It's not yet finished with the world. It's the key, though, can open the door out of the world. So first realize aham, which here could be put as I am, 
and then because you're not yet out of the world, the world meaning the cosmos, meaning the the octave. <laughs> so aham is is what higher self says. Higher self says aham, I am, or I is. Then, and that's translated commonly as self-realization. Uh, but that's not finished. Then one must go through the door out of the octave or the world. Um, where one, 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 one won't say I am. One won't even, one may say I is. Or tatsat. <laughs> That's it. You just say tatsat and, and, and leave it at that. You know, there, there's no more identity talking. Because paramam, param, paramatman is um, not an I at all. It's a thou. It's not even an I or a thou, really. You know, that whole thing of me and you and this and that, it's just finished, okay? There's just no perception. <laughs> the cessation of perception and consciousness, you know, what can be said? Nothing, really. The moon dancing on the water is seen in the water, but caused by the moon in the sky, not by the water. So, um, there's a reflection on the water of the moon in the sky, a reflection of source into aham. <laughs> and aham kara, or I am, is a reflection of that. So there's a lot of reflection. And, and um, Hebrew cosmology talks about that a lot. Meaning, I, I'm not big on Hebrew, uh, eschatol- Hebrew cosmology, cosmogenesis, you know, from the... the very esoteric Jewish documents, but they talk about uh, higher planes as sort of a successional reflection, that the higher spheres were born of a reflective process from the uncreate. (laughs) Something like that. So there's a lot of... So there's... Creation is itself a reflective process, and that's why we call it light. (laughs) What is light? It's not a it's not a flashlight light, you know. It's not a visible light. It's reflectivity. And consciousness is reflectivity itself, or whether it's unbound awareness or subjectivist fashioned consciousness, vijnana, um, that awareness or consciousness is reflecting, reflective. It's reflectivity itself. <laughs> it's the reflectivity of life. Life's reflectivity comes down, it can be called awareness. Such it. That's such it. And that comes down eventually, again, by a reflective process, into um, into Atman, uh, the sub-sub-logos. Sub-sub-logos is Atman, so it's a big deal, but it's not the end of the line. Anyway, that's that. Okay, so that's it for today. <laughs> I won't too quickly click the button, though. Uh, next time we'll pick up at 122. Um, pretty good stuff. This is Yana Yoga. And um, for those who can follow along, or if you like it, that means you can follow along. And um, it's a transformation of the head the head chakras, baby. This is, a, you know, we're purifying the, the, the nadis in the head. Definitely. So I hope you like it. And... Um, uh, that's that. So anyway, <laughs> please take good care of yourself. Don't forget to bookmark the other channel, TWSMandelker.com, uh, because YouTube does give me trouble signing in to continually verify my identity. I'm in the process of uh, dropping identity, and they want me to keep verifying it. How ironic. Anyway, take care. Good night. <laughs>